Hey guys, it's Derek. We're back on the podcast, and today we have yet another special guest. Today on the show, we have Danielle Kepix. Danielle is a board-certified physician assistant. She has all kinds of experience in both nutrition, fitness, and obviously healthcare. She is a close friend of Ashley and I. We met Danielle back in 2016 or 17 when I was the head coach at CrossFit 446 in Pittsburgh. We immediately hit it off. Ashley and Danielle became training partners. Danielle and I vibed very well and had lots of deep conversations about all things nutrition, health, fitness, and healthcare, and even mindset. And so I'm really excited today to get on the podcast with her just to just to jam out, to vibe, to talk about anything and everything that comes into play. And just as a uh, disclaimer for y'all out there, Danielle and I both can have a uh, little bit of a sailor's mouth every now and again. So there are some curse words and there is some cursing throughout this podcast. So if you've got kids listening, you might want to save this one for a later date. But without further ado, let's get into the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to Ballistic Performance Radio. This is episode number 22, and we are here with Danielle Kepix. Uh, Danielle is, how do I want to explain her? Danielle is, first and foremost, board-certified physician. She's a former counselor, personal trainer, a dog mom, and I think the best way to describe her is a woman who is not afraid to speak her damn mind. And Danielle and I met, I think it was back in either 2016 or 17 when I was working as the head coach at CrossFit 446 in Pittsburgh. We immediately hit it off, had lots of great conversations, had lots of great times. And now we're, uh, we're in completely different places. I'm in Michigan, she's in Utah, and I'm going to let Danielle take it away here. And Danielle, why don't you tell the crew or the folks listening a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you do it? So like, like Derek just said, I, one, one small correction, I'm a board certified physician assistant, not physician. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I, I, I spend most of my day correcting patients who call me, call me either doctor or nurse or medical assistant. So it, it's all good. dude. <laughs> um, so I'm a board certified physician assistant um, for a little over five years now. I spent the majority of my previous uh, four to five years working as actually a travel physician assistant, which most people don't even know exists, um, on various contracts in various places around the country. Um, I currently work with uh, Intermountain Healthcare in Utah, which is one of the, I think, probably the largest provider in the state of Utah. And we also branch out into Idaho and Nevada now um, as as a family practice physician assistant. Awesome. And now, like when we get into this conversation here, I don't know the necessary, uh, the correct order of some things. So I'll ask you some questions <laughs> and we'll steer the conversation as needed from there. But uh, I wanted to talk to you today because we we obviously have similar personalities and we, we get along really well. It's easy to vibe. But then also you have a unique the unique experiences of both fitness and nutrition and the healthcare side of things. And so I thought we could mesh those together. We're not going to talk about COVID just because everybody's talking about that shit and we can, we can move that off the table and focus on some, <laughs> <laughs> we can focus on some bigger picture stuff here once all this passes. So, uh, Daniel, with your, with your sort of story here and your background, what came first, the, the fitness and nutrition and the passion for that, or, the education side of things and moving into and pursuing healthcare? So for me, fitness was never something that like I got into, like it was just something that was always a part of me. Um, I was an athlete for as long as I could remember. Um, I played very competitive softball growing up and dappled with, you know, soccer, gymnastics, track, running, Um, so for people who talk about having to create like fitness as a part of their life, like that's a really hard thing for me to relate to. Um, so, so fitness was definitely the foundation of, I think just, just everything because it was such a large part of my identity since I can remember. Um, I kind of took that and ran and became a personal trainer after my undergraduate degree. And I was in the middle of getting 
a master's degree in counseling psychology, which is another part of me that most people don't even know exists. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think all of those things kind of just go together into a well-rounded individual with their health and their wellness and their mind, their body and their soul. And I think coming to the point where I be became a physician assistant, it kind of rolled all of those things into one. And it's made me someone who is very effective at communicating with the population that I serve. That's awesome. I didn't know like half of what you just said. So that's, that's cool. We never got into that before. <laughs> did When you mentioned you were pursuing a master's, did you actually get that master's or did you change yeah. paths? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually hold um, a master's degree in counseling psychology in addition to my master's degree in physician assistant studies. Um, it was something that I, I knew it wasn't the complete picture for me. And I, man, I think until recently and all of the trauma that I've really realized how much trauma there is in the world and which can be defined in so many ways. It's, you know, trauma is not a simple thing. Um, it's given me a really great capacity to like address the individual as a whole, which is so, so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, where healthcare is heading for sure. And just in general, more comprehensive approach to working with every individual. Uh, but that's awesome that you have that master's. I literally had no clue of all the conversations <laughs> we have when we lived in Pittsburgh. Not once did that get brought up. Uh, I guess we didn't dig deep enough back then, but that's okay. Uh, so you just mentioned that you kind of took or that physician assistant was the opportunity to roll all your experiences into one. And so I'm assuming that was what one of the driving factors to pursue that and become a physician assistant. And, you know, that being said, is all of that impacting the way you're interacting and, you know, with your clients now? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, I know that I'm a minority because I talk to my patients about like, Hey, like, let's talk about the foundations of health. Like, you know, people come to me and they want to pill for this or they're suffering from that. I'm like, cool. Like you're talking about top tier interventions here. So when I look at medical interventions, I look at them if you're looking at a pyramid. So the base of the pyramid is obviously the largest and the top is obviously the smallest. And the bottom foundational aspect of that for me is, okay, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? And, and by eating, I don't mean like, how are we dieting and restricting? I mean, like, are we eating enough calories? Are we eating whole unprocessed foods the majority of the time? Um, how are we dealing with our stress? Are we having daily bowel movements? If you're a female, how, how is your period health? If you're a man, like how, like, are, do you have like a healthy sex drive, et cetera, et cetera. Like, if we're not optimizing those things, like we're not going to that next tier. And that, you know, the bottom tier to me is how like the least expensive, the least invasive to the patient and the top to me would be like surgery because that's the most invasive, the most risky, the most cost to the patient. Like if we're not doing those bottom things, I don't want to be going to those top things. And now there, there are exceptions to the rule in, in emergency situations. But I think that, my nutritional background, my fitness background, my counseling background. It's like, okay, I look at those foundational things and those are the things that people either love me or hate me for as a patient. And about 90% of them really like me for it. But if we're not doing those foundational things, we're not, we're not moving up. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we talk to our, our clients about that kind of stuff and we really just call them like the, the constructs of wellness. And they're similar to like the research that's out there and the way they label wellness. But um, you know, all that stuff comes into play and it really is, as you said, the foundation of that pyramid. And if you're not addressing those things, you're really just putting a bandaid over a lot of deeper problems that are not going to be fixed through these, these superficial solutions. hundred percent. I, the bandaid analogy I use a lot with my patients and I'm like, okay, you have GERD, like that PPI you're taking, it's a band-aid. Like the metformin you're taking for your glucose impairment, like your poor insulin regulation. And, and don't get me wrong. There are instances where people need medications. I'm not shaming medications, but it's like, what can we do to address the root cause of that? And I think that that's something that's just, it lacks in quote, what we call conventional medicine, which is your 
you know, the allopathic track that I took and that most physicians take. And, you know, I started learning about functional medicine, which, you know, goes at the root cause. And I'm like, let's, let's address this if you want to work with this. And most people do. They're like, I never knew these things. And there are some people that don't. I'm like, that's fine. Like, you want to keep taking your medication. Here are the risks. Here are the benefits. You can, you're free to choose. Like, this is, this is your, your path. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I think this is the perfect segue into what I wanted to talk to next with you. And that is, you know, in the bigger picture of healthcare and everything that we're doing, I want to know from you, what are some of the things you think we're doing well? And what are some things you think we're doing not so well uh, in that area? So that, oh, that, that answer is really difficult. And it, I think those things intertwine together. So one of the things that I think we've started to do well, but have taken a little bit too far is patient satisfaction. Um, I think there's a little too much emphasis placed on that because let me backtrack. So patient satisfaction, it's important because when a patient walks through your door, they have a certain agenda that they want to address. And being someone who has been on the other side of it myself and with loved ones, you know, through serious illnesses, like, that agenda is important. Like that's your health. And like you have every single right to have those things addressed. Mm. What's not important is, you know, when people fill out surveys and they're not happy with the care they received because you didn't give them an antibiotic that they think they needed, but you know, darn well that they didn't. So they give you, they rate you a zero and you get bad, bad scores, which goes into like, you know, sometimes the pay that myself or other physicians receive or the reimbursement directly to the hospital. And it's like, I think we're going a little too far with that. But I do think it's important that we're taking, you know, what the patient wants and what they think into consideration. I also love what the Cleveland Clinic is doing. Um, I don't know if you know, but that's where Julie Fouché comes from. And they're really, really starting to implement a functional medicine perspective. And I think that it's slowly, slowly trickling into other major, major medical systems like Mayo. And once we see that infiltrated, we're going to see root cause medicine really, really take over. And I can't freaking wait for that because it's so important. (laughs) Um, as far as what we're not doing well, it's kind of the same answer where I feel like we don't address the root cause. Like you said earlier, it's, you know, there's a bandaid for everything and it's marketing, it's big pharma, it's, you know, financial it's not disclosing things there's there's so many reasons why the band-aids to problems that have a true root cause exist like the birth control pill is a really easy one for me to go to and i'm not shaming anybody that takes the pill i like to say i'm not against birth control i'm pro informed consent and informed consent is not oh hey you might get a blood clot with this like for new oral contraceptive counseling for me that's a 40 minute appointment because i really want you to understand like what's going on with that pill Um, you know, it was meant to help women have bigger freedom with, you know, how they can have sex and it turned into, oh, you have acne. Here's the pill. Oh, you have cramps. Here's the pill. Oh, you have irregular periods. Here's the pill. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like what's causing that problem? Like you deserve an answer. And we don't do that well overall in healthcare right now. And it is one of the things that I am so freaking passionate about like i i can't even tell you just just with the birth control pill alone how many women come to me and they're like oh yeah i had a hysterectomy in my 30s because my doctor recommended it because i had heavy bleeding are you freaking kidding me it's we we need to be better at that we need to be better at giving people the answers that they deserve for their bodies and their health yeah i completely agree i think as you said i think the more some of these larger organizations like the Cleveland Clinic, like Mayo, start incorporating mm-hmm. some of this root cause, I guess you could call it treatment, or at least addressing the root cause, then you'll see sure. that trickle down effect. And hopefully everyone will begin to take that approach. But, you know, going back to the birth control thing that you mentioned, it is it is kind of astonishing when you start looking at that research and getting into that entire realm of, you know, the side effects and, and all of these things and the way it manipulates your hormones. And, you know, Ashley, my fiance went through that entire process and she's taking her sister through it now to transition her off the pill and have her talk to her physician and all of these things. Uh, and when we were on vacation in January, Ashley started talking to my sisters and 
most people have no idea everything that's associated with it because so many women are on the pill and then when their eyes start to be opened up and the veil is lifted to all of the repercussions of it or the associated uh, negative impacts, it's pretty crazy. Dude, like I, I was a certified physician assistant. I, I was on the marina and I, I, you know, Ashley and I have discussed this extensively. I thought I was, you know, I'm like, no, there's no way. But like, literally, so the pill is chemical castration. Like it cuts off the communication between your brain and your ovaries. And most people don't understand what that means. And I'm like, here's, here's how I relate this. When men have acne, when men have, you know, X, Y, or Z problem, we don't cut, like, we don't castrate them. Like it's, it's an extreme thing. And it's so taken lightly that most women I've had to train my medical assistants to say, Hey, I want you to ask every female that walks through this door if they are taking anything for contraception, because they won't even note it as a medication. That is how benign it is looked at. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is that point to where even I think from me being a, a guy looking at it from a male perspective, <laughs> like looking at it from my perspective, it's, it's so normalized that I could see why women aren't marking that down as a, a prescription or a medication or anything along those lines, because, you know, they're turning 13, 14, 15 years old, and then they're on the pill for the next 20 years. Yep. I, you're, and you're not wrong. And again, I'm not, I'm not against birth control. Like it's given women so much freedom. Like I'm a first generation college student. Like, you know, it gave me the ability to have sex when I wanted and like not worry about getting pregnant and finish my degree and become successful. I'm not against it, but the birth control pill is like, it's the longest running experiment that is no longer a clinical trial. Like most people don't know that three women died in the first birth control trial, I think in the fifties or sixties, and it wasn't investigated. Most people don't know that there was a male birth control that was developed in 2016 and the trial was shut down for the same side effects that women experienced, but they said that it was too intolerable for men. So wow. it's like, Hmm, like they had painted injection site. They had, they had actually increased libido. So like sex drive, mm -hmm. right. Which for women, it gets shut down because it shuts down ovulation, which shuts down that biological quote unquote desire for sex. So it's, it's just such a double-edged sword. And I'm like, listen, like, I support whatever you want as a female, as a person, as my patient, but like, we need to talk about this and you can either listen with open ears and take that information as you want, or you can walk out of here angry because you think X, Y, or Z about me. And I've had, I have both happen and that's okay. Like, I, you know, you would totally agree with this. Like I'm not for everybody and that's okay. Like, but I want my patients to be treated the way that I would want my loved one to be treated going in there. And the second thing is like, if you have someone who works in healthcare at home and then you tell them about your experience, I do not want them to have the ability to say like, she missed this or she didn't do this right. Mm -hmm. So. No, I, I love that. And now I think <laughs> this is the perfect way to transition back into, I think we're both, both sides, uh, the guys and the gals listening can, can relate to this. And yeah. So we don't go down the wormhole of, of birth control, which I know you and Ashley know, and so many women that I know could go down. And that is, you know, you're, you just explained how you want your patients to be, to be mm -hmm. informed and to understand everything that goes into the, the treatment that they're receiving. So now mm -hmm. for all of us, if we're going to our physician and we're having, we're being administered treatment or prescribed treatment, what do we do or how do we approach a situation if we we think that it's a Band-Aid or we happen to know that it's a Band-Aid without coming across as, you know, the, the know-it-all, so to speak, who thinks they can treat themselves or self-diagnose themselves better than the physician? Yeah, and, that, and that's a hard thing. And it's, it's so provider-dependent. And the first thing I think is that if you're asking questions and – a provider and by medical provider, I mean a physician, a physician assistant, a nurse practitioner. Um, if they don't like that you're asking questions, you need to get out the door. Um, that, that would be the first thing, but how to, t how to speak to someone, you know, diabetes is an easy example. Like if, if you're diagnosed, you have an elevated A1C, which is a marker that looks at 
your average glucose over the past three months. And they're like, okay, you know, here's, here's metformin. It's the first line treatment. You might have some GI dysfunction, but you'll be fine. Just start off at X, Y, or Z and we'll check back in in four to six weeks. You know, a good question at that point would be, well, are there things that I can do? You know, I don't know that I'm interested in taking a pill if there are things that I can do with my diet or my lifestyle or, you know, maybe vitamin supplementation, which isn't applicable necessarily to diabetes, but the diet and exercise certainly are. So asking, what can I do? What side effects does this medication have? What are the long-term risks of this medication? And anyone who has a degree that is able to administer medication should be able to answer those questions and should also be very willing to answer those questions. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, you know, it's it's similar to, well, related to fitness. If if you were my client or my, you know, whatever you want to call a member, athlete, et cetera, and you came to me and had questions about the stimulus of the workout, and I wasn't willing to answer or, or was frustrated about your questions, like, that's not a good sign. <laughs> like, there should, there should be a you know, there should be an open dialogue and a willingness to explain because you want to also help educate these people, whether we're talking about healthcare or fitness, as to why you're prescribing something or why you're asking folks to do X, Y, and Z. A hundred percent. I completely agree with that. And I always make sure one of the big things that I always ask my patients is, are there other things that you were concerned about? Are there other tests that you wanted run? I never, ever ever, ever tell a patient no when they come in and they say, hey, I'm really concerned about X, Y, or Z. Can you run this test? I'm like, sure. Tell me why you're concerned about that. Most of the time people have a reason. I had this patient who they wanted a chest X-ray and it seemed like a really weird request because nothing that she was talking about (laughs) related to needing a chest X-ray. I'm like, tell me more. You know, that's a, I love that line because when you start to get defensive about anything, like, well, you don't need that test or you don't need this or, you know, how, however you can think in your mind, get curious and say, tell me more. And this is a technique I got from Brene Brown. This is not something I came up with myself. But she started to tell me about her, I think it was her brother's wife or someone that was distantly related to her. And they had this weird disease that they, and was diagnosed on chest x-ray. That's how they started to find it. And she was concerned about that. And I'm like, okay. I was like, you know, I, I don't think that there, I think there's a low suspicion for something like this, but if it's concerning to you and you're willing to undergo the risks of a chest x-ray with the radiation for some peace of mind, sure, I'll order it. So I think that as a patient, being with a provider that has an open mind and is willing to listen is also just such a super important thing. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't agree more. My experiences, and this probably sounds horrible and you might get off the call. You might get off the call and be like, what the hell's wrong with you? But I, I probably have been to see a physician maybe like maybe twice in the last five, six, seven years. Yeah. We've talked about this. Yeah. Like I literally just have moved too much and never even took the time to get a PCP and go get like a basic blood work panel done or even, even a physical and but the few times that I have been in those settings and then obviously throughout my childhood going in and doing all those things, the experiences that I've had, especially after I got an education through through college and, and some experiences afterwards, is when I was speaking to the the healthcare professional, it seemed that there was, you know, some kind of I don't want to call it a knowledge gap, but it seemed that there was a disconnect that the knowledge that I knew and the experiences that I, I've had through fitness and how that relates to health didn't seem to be connecting or vibing with the experiences mm-hmm. and the knowledge of the physician. Do you ever mm-hmm. encounter that? Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Do you agree? I, I agree 100%. Uh, you know, I, the background that I have is is super unique. And I know that there are other people out there like me. I'm not saying I'm like this like, like special unicorn. You know, there are a lot of other people who are interested in fitness and wellness who practice medicine, but the general training that we get, dude, I can't, most of the stuff that I practice and that people like about me, I didn't learn through allopathic medicine and allopathic medicine does not teach about exercise. Especially, Oh, get your 30 minutes of like walking a day and you'll be fine. 
Hey, hold on one second. You and I backtrack just a bit. You cut out there for a second. When okay. you, uh, had, you had started talking about allopathic medicine and how it doesn't teach you and then. Yeah. So allopathic medicine doesn't teach anything about different types of exercise or nutrition or, you know, they don't even get down to like, these are the three macronutrients, you know, we, we get no, we get no guidance regarding that in, in our training as a physician assistant. And I'm pretty sure doctors don't get it either. Um, there's no, if they do, they get like a nutrition course or something maybe. And, and maybe there's a, you, you know, a physician who can tell you different. I'm, I can't speak a hundred percent to that, but they don't know what a macronutrient is for the most part. And they don't know that weightlifting is beneficial or why it's beneficial. And, and these are things that I talk to people about. And I'm sure when I make <laughs> my referrals to diet to the registered dietitians and in my little blurb, they're going, where did this girl get this information from? <laughs> you know, Because of, of the things that I write. And there is a huge, huge gap. And, you know, when I, I was going through my precision nutrition certification, which for, for a certification, it gives a lot of really good nutrition information. And I was able to like really integrate a medical background to that and get into it on likely a deeper level than a lot of people who take that certification. But I'm like, man, like what if, you know, like we have to take advanced cardiac life support in PA school. Like what if we made a nutrition certification, you know, a two week course that you had to like go and do that. I just think there's a huge, huge gap you know, even for me to find a provider, like it's been very hard because I want someone who practices the way that I do. And I want someone who values the things that I do. So yeah, I agree a hundred percent. There's, there, there's a huge, huge gap there. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, you know, specifically with that physician that I found that orthopedic specialist in Pittsburgh yeah. who you referred me to, by the way, but, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the, uh, I don't want it to sound like we're knocking just the healthcare no. side. I think there's a gap that applies to both sides. I think fitness professionals can have greater knowledge in regards to healthcare. Not necessarily, I don't want to sound like I'm saying we should be able to diagnose, absolutely not. But there should be an understanding of how what's outside the scope, but enough of an understanding that we can then refer out, if that makes sense. So enough knowledge yeah, yeah. that we can get an idea and then refer out. And the same goes for the opposite side. Enough knowledge that physicians and physician's assistant and other healthcare professionals can get an idea of, oh, this person may be lacking some basic nutritional you know, habits. They might be experiencing extreme stress and poor sleep due to X, Y, and Z. So. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think maybe something would be, you know, add an extra rotation or two that, you know, we do some cross rotation, some interprofessional training with that. Like maybe we start to spend two weeks with the registered dietitian and two weeks with, you know, a physical therapist or something so that we can get a better understanding of how everything relates to each other and teach each other and work with each other. Like it's, it's so, so important. Yeah. I, and I think it could you know, if enough people put enough effort towards it, I think it could easily be implemented over, you know, a period of time. But what I think what a lot of people neglect to accept, especially in the fitness side of things, is not everyone went to a college or university and got a four-year degree in anything that relates to kinesiology, exercise science, ex-phys. So, Yes, there are trainers out there and coaches who have the knowledge of some of these chronic diseases and how they impact the body and some of the signs and symptoms and, and all of the information that goes along with that. But there are plenty who started fitness, started coaching as just a passion. And yes, mm -hmm. they went out and got the necessary certifications to teach you how to move. But that, that knowledge and that background of the actual physiology and the, the microbiology and the chemistry behind it, that might not be there. And that could be part of this disconnect that we see happening. Yeah, I, I, I have zero to add to that because I agree 100%. <laughs> They're just, yeah, like, dude, you hit the nail on the head. There's... I mean, there's gap between different providers. There's gaps between, you know, just if you want to even get into like the basic understanding of like 
we're taught nothing about our bodies or our health growing up, you know, like it's just, that's a huge gap, like how patients come to us in general. And, you know, I don't know what the answer to that is. You know, everybody wants to dump things on the school systems and this and that. And it's like, I don't even want to get into what the potential is. Like, do we teach kids this in school? Do we make them cook their own food like the Japanese and grow their own garden? Like, I don't know, man. But <laughs> like the knowledge gap about anything about like our bodies, our health, our wellness, how to move. I mean, those are all the programs that are being cut too. And it's just... I'm not saying that it's all the schools. It's it, it's multifactorial. It's 100% multifactorial. But if we bridge that gap, like, would the gap between patient and provider or patient and trainer, like, would that be as big if it was addressed from the time that we were toddlers? Probably not. That's, yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, you can go <laughs> down that entire rabbit hole, I, I guess. Yeah, it's and, a huge rabbit hole. Yeah, we're, we're obviously not going to go all the way there. But I think at a at a more macro level, I think that's the entire intent behind, you know, the CrossFit, uh, MDL one, or mm-hmm, is that, mm-hmm. did I say that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. MDL one. Yeah. And you know, that's what I think they're trying to do. I think that's what CrossFit as a company is trying to do is trying to take folks who are very much like yourself and get them collaborating with one another, get them maybe additional knowledge they didn't have and help them to have better interactions with patients. So I think they're on the right track there. And it's just a matter of, can we get everyone else on board with a similar, you know, a similar approach to, to this, to the problem. But, you know, without getting, and even too, with that, go though, Derek, like, I, I wonder, you know, I think it's great what they're doing. I don't want to sound like I'm negating that at all, but I feel like as someone who's been involved in fitness, as long as I can remember, like most of the people who CrossFit are probably implementing these things already in their practice. So it's like Greg Glassman talks about, like, I don't need to reach the person who's already running half marathons. I need to reach the person with an A1C of 10 who's 400 pounds or whatever. And it's like, are we reaching the right physicians and the right providers? Like, how do we outreach that to people who aren't already involved in that circle? And I think that is the conversation that people need to be in about that. No, that's, that's a great point. I completely agree. You know, I always tell folks nowadays that, especially other trainers, when we're talking about the future of, of fitness and specifically CrossFit, because that's the, the world that I'm in, I always joke and say, listen, there are no fit people left. Like y- y'all are out here trying to attract more fit people to your gyms and there's none left there. You're all ah. the fit people that are already in here doing this because they like it because they're passionate about it. Like we have to completely manipulate like a full 180 on our approach in order to get the people who are now maybe not obese but at least the people who are overweight who have chronically elevated glucose and all of these things and get mm-hmm. them into the gym so that's just it just made me think of that that's a hundred yeah. i 100 percent agree because i think i i was reading something this morning was it this morning or last night about I think uh, Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, I don't know if you follow him, but I, I believe he's at Cleveland Clinic Institute. He posted something about the the annual cost of di- the direct and indirect cost of diabetes and obesity being like $3.4 trillion, which is 20% of the GDP or something like that. Um, so it's like, that's the population that we need to attract. But it's like, how do you do that? How do you institute change? How do you mo- motivate that? And I think that's a big thing that people in healthcare and in and in your role don't realize is it's like, you need to be in tune to where is that person? How do I meet them there? And how do I get them to continue to move forward? And that yeah. is a hard yeah. thing to do. Absolutely. I mean, we're going to, I think we can dive into this a little bit because it kind of goes into our next topic here. And that's, you know, is there a better way to do things? And I think what we're both getting at is the better way to do things would be either more collaboration or better, better education on both sides. And I personally think the collaboration is probably the more realistic option and probably Mm -hmm. the better option. And the more and more I'm in this field, the more and more I realize most people have a psychological block versus an actual, you know, I don't want to say physical, it's not the right word. The, it's the psychology behind the decisions and the actions that's preventing them from actually doing them, not the will to do it or something like that, if that makes Everybody sense. Everybody wants to do it, but it's, it's, 
we need to be motivated by the outcome and people are motivated by like, Oh, I'm going to lose this weight. And it's like, no, you need to be motivated by the process. You need to love the process. And that is not a Danielle Kepix original. That is actually something you told me. Eric Um, Thomas. (laughs) Okay. So you didn't originate that shit either then. Hell no. (laughs) Well, it sounded brilliant. I'm not that Uh, smart. (laughs) True. True. Ashley would agree. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, I think, I think you're right. You, I always say that you have to love the process, but I also think that it's even more than that. It's a matter of, you know, if you're not ready, if you're not mentally and physically and emotionally ready to, to make that commitment, to adopt new behaviors, to form new habits, there's nothing that we can do as fitness professionals or health professionals, other than maybe health professionals prescribe medication. There's nothing we can do to make it happen. You know, if you come to me and you're not ready to start implementing better nutritional habits, it doesn't matter how many times I check in with you. It doesn't matter how many times I try to push you. It doesn't matter what I say to motivate you. It's probably not going to happen because you're, there's a psychological block there. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the psychological component is so huge and kind of circling back to what I said about trauma earlier, like, I always tell people it's never just about the food. If we're talking about nutrition, like there is something else there. Like, is it control? Is it losing control? Is it, you know, you had trauma and that's why you're overweight. Like something I read, like 80% of people who are overweight or obese have been through physical or sexual abuse because it's a protective mechanism. And we do such a shitty job in this country at addressing the at mental health of people. Like it, it doesn't happen. There's not funding for it. We don't cover it with insurance. We don't, you know, it's shameful to go to a therapist or, you know, to, to meditate or do the, you know, meditation is becoming a big thing now, which is so great. Like it's so great for your health, but you know, all of those other things it is not addressed and how you're saying like, there's a huge psychological component, like that huge psychological component is everybody's unresolved issues. And we all have them. And that could be a whole other hour, two hour long conversation about how we don't address or value mental health in this country at all. Yeah, I love I love the way you you framed that there, and I think you're right. I mean, I was just thinking the other day because I was either reading something or listening to something, and it was talking. About, I think I was listening to a podcast, and it was talking about the fact that for so long, and I think we're starting to see just a minor shift now. But for so long, mm-hmm. no one was talking about seeing a therapist. No one was talking mm-hmm. about self reflection or meditation or any of these things that help us resolve our issues, help us connect with ourselves and, and figure out really who we are. And, you know, that stuff's really important. I mean, even myself, I love the fact that I'm a robot sometimes and have no emotion, <laughs> but that's also a deeper, <laughs> deeper problem that eventually I need to address because there yeah. should be that emotional side. And I think everybody, I think as great as it is to double down on your strengths, you also need to pull back and say, okay, there's something deeper going on here. And talking to Mm -hmm. a professional will probably help me sort through it a hell of a lot faster than trying to talk to my spouse or family member or friend. A hundred percent. Like I, I can even say, you know, kind of incorporating the concept of how you said, like you can only meet people where they are. And if people aren't ready, I probably tried for 10 years off and on to see a therapist and it just wasn't working for me. I was, I think I was just resistant. I wasn't ready for the change. I wasn't ready to get into the stuff that I had to deal with and, you know, just things that have gone on in my life. And I, (laughs) I've been seeing a therapist now regularly for since the beginning of December and she's wonderful. I love her. It's the best hour of my every other week. <laughs> um, but I joked with her and I said, Megan, like it has taken me 10 years of doing the pre-work to be ready to really sit down and do this work with you. You know, there, there is no easy answer and there is no easy pill. There is no, you know, sexy celery juice cleanse your way out of crap. And that goes for mental health, physical health, you know, whatever you want to apply that to. Literally, it took me 10 years of work on myself to sit down and be ready to really delve into this to make myself a better human. And 
I think that's, I mean, that's what I love about you and Ashley is you guys don't preach the stuff that sells, you preach the stuff that works. And we need more people out there doing that in every realm of wellness, whether you're a therapist, whether you're a trainer, whether, you know, you are a meditation instructor, whether you're a physician, like that's the shit that needs to like be broadcasted. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, if you can hear my dog, everyone listening is found his squeaky <laughs> toy and is just going to town. So hopefully, he'll, uh, I'm surprised he'll ours that. are behaving right now. <laughs> but uh, to get back to where we just were, yeah, I mean, we preach the the message of patience and the fact that there's not a quick fix. I think we probably write something about that every week. You know, there yeah. because too many people like we're just in. It's from that. At least I think it stems from this diet culture and this culture of instant gratification. Like you spent 10 years trying to get to the point where now you can work with your therapist and really see some progress. And Mm -hmm. most folks will relate this back to like uh, obesity and diabetes. Most folks folks spend anywhere from five to 25 years fucking up their body and putting themselves in a bad position to where now they think they're going to lose a hundred pounds and get off their high blood pressure medication in a week or in a month. And it's just the, there's a disconnect there. There's a huge disconnect. And I think, like you said, it's, it's the instant gratification culture. It's, I order something on Amazon. It's here tomorrow. If I really want it to be, it's, I have diabetes and I saw nine commercials last week for a diabetes pill. So I must need a pill for that. It's, Again, like you you and I have said, it's so multifactorial, but all of those factors relate back to instant gratification and here's the easy fix. And I tell that to, dude, I tell that to my patients every damn day. I'm like, how old are you? You're 54. You've been living this life and you've been like running through a dumpster fire with your body and your health for the past 54 years. It's not going to change overnight. And that's okay. Like both of those things are truths and that's okay at this point. You can either move forward or you can keep making the same choices that you're making. But I can tell you those same choices you're going to keep making. And if we're using diabetes as an example is going to land you with an uncontrolled A1C. It's going to put you at risk for a heart attack, a stroke. You're going to probably develop chronic kidney disease, neuropathy, and maybe end up on dialysis and die an early death. So the choice is yours. And it's not an easy message to preach to people. And I don't, I don't lay it out exactly like that. Like I, I, I do have some, I do have some tact and empathy to me. Um, <laughs> but, but I do keep it real with people. Like, listen, you have grandkids, you, you want to see them grow up and graduate college. Like let's make some changes. Yeah. I mean, I think and it's not easy. It's not, it's so much easier for, and this is where I don't fault physicians, but it's so much easier to write for a pill than to have that conversation with people. It is. It's an easier job to do. And you know what? I've never been interested in easy in my whole life. And I'm still not interested in it, especially in that role. Yeah, I love that. And that's why Ashley and I make a great team is because, (laughs) like you just said, I can be tactful. I can have a quote unquote bedside manner, but I'm also that voice of... I don't want to say of reason, but I'm also the voice in our partnership to where if we are having trouble connecting with a client or we're having trouble getting a client to implement some of these action steps that we're providing for them, Ashley is very empathetic and very compassionate and will just listen to them for days and try to present a solution that doesn't seem as abrasive. Whereas sometimes you need to take that abrasive solution, which is actually your answer, and that's what they need mm-hmm. to hear. And maybe you can package it and wrap it a little bit nicer, but sometimes there's no way around those difficult conversations. And the only reason that people haven't changed or haven't been able to change is because everyone else has been afraid to have that conversation with them. 100%. I could not have said that better at all. Like, and knowing you and Ashley, I can totally see that. Happening. So literally just the other day, someone was having trouble following up really something really basic. I can't even remember what it was, but she read me the message that she was going to send. And she said, how's that sound? And I said, Oh, I would have just wrote this, you know, and I, I laid out like this super blunt, short response. <laughs> and we basically just took the two of those and molded them into one. And that was, that was our solution. But 
Yes. I mean, those are, those are tough conversations to have, but the, I'm sure from your experiences and my experiences, the more and more you're working with people and, and seeing all these different scenarios, like that's often what needs to happen in order to start making progress. And so now all that being said, in your opinion, do you think in the future, as we, as healthcare continues to evolve and as fitness continues to evolve, do you think the the healthcare clinic, so to speak, of the future is going to be more of this umbrella corporation with a bunch of specialists there that have all these niches like PAs and RDs and trainers and maybe even chiropractors and, and meditation experts yeah. and all of these different facets? Dude, I love that. Yeah, I, I do think that like I, I can say for where I work right now, like we have a care management team that works with um, you know, some of the more, dip, we call, you know, you would call them a difficult patient, people with uncontrolled diabetes, they're high utilizers, but we have a therapist and we have multiple therapists in our clinic. We have a registered dietitian. We have a diabetes education group. We have our care management team. You know, I have a friend, a really good friend here who's an acupuncturist and we talk all the time, like, dude, we would do some serious work on people together, like Eastern and Western medicine combined you know, that's a whole, that's a whole other realm I can go into is like the importance of acupuncture. Like, holy crap, it's freaking amazing. (laughs) Freaking amazing. Um, you know, but I think we're starting to see droplets of that. And I do think it's, it's, um, like a, a, a snowball effect from what the Cleveland clinic is doing. Um, cause when you get a major institution who's implementing functional medicine, a team-based approach like that, um, people have to listen, like you, you can't ignore the Cleveland clinic. So I'm like very, I'm super thankful that there are big institutions out there doing that work and promoting that because I do think it's the most effective way to teach people to honor their body, honor their mind and their wellness. And hopefully, you know, our generation when they're having kids, not me, because we all know I'm not having, I'm not reproducing the world. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. It's okay. Ashley um, and I will have enough kids for you guys too. You, you go nuts. You go nuts. We better um, win the Powerball. <laughs> oh, I love you guys. Um, you know, hopefully when, you know, our generation who has seen like the generation above us just riddled with chronic disease hopefully there hopefully more people besides you and I and I'm sure there are are paying attention to that and raise their kids eating vegetables and not you know don't even start me on kids menus and how we need to like not be forming the palates that way that early but hopefully there's a huge mindset shift in in the way that we practice medicine with with group a group and team-based approach practice and also how the the people in our generation treat the next generation yeah. And I think what you said is is absolutely essential there about large, larger organizations, especially the larger healthcare organizations leading the charge. Because if, if someone like the, the Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic doesn't start implementing team-based approach, it doesn't matter how hard, you know, I'll use CrossFit for an example. It doesn't matter how hard larger CrossFit affiliates try to implement, hey, I want to bring a, a PT into the building. I want to bring a Cairo into the building. I want to bring, you know, it doesn't matter who they put under their roof. It doesn't have the same impact as one of these global organizations creating that exact same environment and then having it snowball from there. So it really does have to come from the top. And then we will start to see some of these other smaller facilities successfully implementing that same practice. Well, 100%, because if you don't have bigger facilities doing it, guess what? The payers aren't going to pay, aka insurance companies. And that's what unfortunately makes the healthcare system go around. And, you know, I think circling back also to how do our patients, how do patients talk to providers? The more patients ask for these things and say, hey, I want this. I don't want to take a pill. I want to work on my diet. I want to work on my lifestyle. I want to find the root cause, not slap a Band-Aid. The more people we get in that conversation with their healthcare providers, the more, guess what? They're going to be forced to learn how to address the root cause. And even if you look at what I do in family practice, when I refer somebody to GI because they've been on, which for people not in the medical profession, it's gastroenterology. So for someone who's been on a proton pump inhibitor, which is a medication like omeprazole, which can cause B12 deficiency, chronic kidney disease, and osteoporosis, those medications were meant for an eight-week trial. And then if their symptoms weren't resolved, 
they're supposed to have an EGD, which is basically a scope down your mouth to look at your esophagus and your stomach and your duodenum, which is the first portion of your small intestine. I cannot tell you, Derek, how many people I get. And I'm like, how long have you been on this PPI? Oh, 7, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever. Cool. Have you ever had an EGD done? What's that? Mm-hmm. It's never mm-hmm. been investigated. It's never been looked at. So when I send those people back to GI, I'm doing my part and asking them to buck the F up and being like, hey, this person's been on a PPI for seven to 10 years, never had a scope. How about you find the cause? So not only am I bucking up, but I'm asking the specialist around me, buck up and join the conversation, dude. Love it. Love the aggression. (laughs) It's just like the good old days. Okay. Are are you surprised? Where's your best surprise face? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised in the least. I was trying to actually, last night I was thinking about our entire conversation and I thought, okay, (laughs) it's either going to be a very like eloquent, well thought out, (laughs) free-flowing discussion or it's just going to turn into f-bomb here f-bomb there (laughs) like just non-stop just slamming people and i did because that's what a lot of our conversations have what'd you say i think we've combined it well i think there's been a little bit of both so yeah no i think it's it's very balanced so that's that's a good thing now you're going to love this because this is how we're going to wrap it up for today Okay. This today is our lightning round. And I told you we were going to have this. God. I didn't, when I sent you the outline, I didn't include the questions because I'm hoping the first one makes you laugh so hard you start crying and then the rest don't matter. So I'm going to ask you these questions. I want you to give me your answers as quickly as you can without overthinking them too much. Almost all of them are would you rathers. So it's going to be one of of two things. Are you ready? Yes, I'm totally ready. Okay, here we go. Lightning round. First question. Would you rather listen to Becky talk about how amazing the plant-based keto cut is or walk into oncoming traffic? Walk into oncoming traffic 100%. (laughs) Okay, I I figured that was going to be your answer. Love it. Next one. Would you rather be fit and look eh or look fit and nearly black out walking up the stairs? Fit and look eh. Okay, I see. I think I might take the opposite. Next one. Would you rather spend 45 minutes on the elliptical listening to Sassy Susan every day for the next year while reading People magazine or have the f- make the following public service announcement before every lift you do for the next three months? And the announcement is, everyone, stop what you're doing and watch. I'm about to blow your mind. Oh God, I hate attention on me like that. I hate it. So I I would rather listen to Sassy Susan and maybe I can like put the volume really low. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. Next one. (laughs) Would you rather eat broccoli every meal for the next week or have your your house smell like to bake broccoli every time you have company over for the next year? Oh, my decision fatigue is setting in because I love broccoli, but if I eat too much of it, the gas, like you would not want to live with me. <laughs> um, so it, I think the better question there is for my boyfriend and asking him if he would rather deal with my gas or the broccoli smell. I'm I'm going to punt that one. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I, I'm the same way. No, no lie. I have it down to the grams. If I eat more than 400 grams of broccoli in a day, it's like game over at night when we get into bed. Like I, I'm, I'm sleeping in the spare bedroom. Like it's it's bad. I think it's about three three fifty for me. I'm gonna have to play with that now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ashley hates it. It's awesome. All right, and then this last one. This is a more normal one. So, if you could only eat okay. one specific meal for breakfast, one specific meal for lunch, and one specific meal for dinner, and you would never get sick of them, but you had to eat those for the rest of your life, what would they be? Ooh, so this is not a would you rather um, no, for is, breakfast. This is and, the last one. Okay, I eat like a lot of really weird combinations of food. So the breakfast I had this morning is definitely a staple. So I had oatmeal with frozen blueberries with two over easy eggs and some turkey bacon all swirled together in the same bowl. And I freaking love it. Um, so that would definitely be my breakfast. You're like, um, Ashley, that's disgusting. Fuck, I love it. It's so good. Sometimes I throw some yogurt in there too and just swirl it all together. Oh. Um, 
Like, I just can't process how the two of you eat that. Like, she does the same shit. She'll put oatmeal in a bowl, put some, like, PB2 in there. Then she'll be like, oh, I should add some egg whites. And then before you know it, she throws some, like, some kind of nut cluster in there. And then after that, it's the frozen fruit. Like, I, I can't keep it straight. Um, I did have PB fit in there too. Um, for lunch, I keep it pretty standard for lunch. Usually it's just some type of frozen vegetable, a meat, a starch, and then like avocado or some nuts or something like that. Um, well, and you can't get out of it that easy. What kind you have to pick a meat, you have to pick a starch. Okay. So bison, I okay. love bison. Um, if I had to pick a starch, jasmine rice, and then the stir fry vegetable blend from Costco, which is multiple types of vegetables, but it comes in one bag, so I feel like it should count. <laughs> that can, I'll give you that one. The only thing I yeah. buy frozen in a bag from Costco is blueberries and those gosh darn gluten-free chicken nuggets. Those things are Dude, bomb. I can't find those chicken I want them so bad. I'm really jealous of your chicken tendy like situation over there. They are, I've never uh, had them until we moved here and it's like a game changer. I hate you guys for that. I think it's like I you said be, though. I will DM you my address. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like you said though. I think because as a kid, all I did was eat chicken nuggets and French fries at every single meal for like 14 years of my life that I just love chicken nuggets. Like I could eat that every meal. 100%. Um, and dinner... Dinner's usually like the same as lunch. So we'll go with maybe some, some chicken thighs, broccoli, and a sweet potato. Nice. Okay. Uh, that That's fair. I keep, I keep it pretty simple, but I, I do, I do eat treats. So, I mean, I like my, I like my after dinner treat. Okay. What's your after dinner treat? Oh, it, it, it depends. Um, I love the Justin's peanut butter cups. I also love, um, oh, they're the, I don't, I don't know what the name of them is, but they're like little wafers with covered in dark chocolate with sea salt on them. Hmm. I wouldn't it's, know what that is, but that does sound they're good. They're delicious. Yeah, they're delicious. Very, very basic isk, but I love them. <laughs> I, I'm more of a, I'm not like a chocolatey guy. Like Ashley loves the chocolate, just like you said, but I'd rather have like, if I'm, I'd rather have something that's sweeter. So like the, the other day we were like, screw it. Let's just have like true treats. So she, she got like a, some kind of chocolate bar, like you just said. And then I got like fucking Sour Patch Kids. Like I'd rather Ew. just sit there and munch on that than chocolate any day. That's foul. I hate Sour Patch Kids. It's like my least favorite. Like they're up there with grapefruit for me. Okay. The fact that you're even associating those two things is just shameful. <laughs> Sour Patch Kids are well above grapefruit in terms of deliciousness. That hurt, it hurts me that you said that. You hurt, hear the food combinations that I eat, and I literally spit out grapefruit. I was like, this is foul and should not be allowed on the earth. That's how, uh, I don't know if anyone, like our parents' age, I don't know if you know anyone, but like all my mom did growing up was eat half of a goddamn grapefruit every morning. Like was that that must have been a thing back in the day? Cause she would she would cut the grapefruit in half, put a little like powdered sugar or not powdered sugar, like granulated sugar on it, and that was her breakfast. I think that must have been some fad back in the day. And that's why, I, like now, when we get if we give people statins, which is a medication for cholesterol, which is a little, we can do a whole other conversation on that. But you can't eat a lot of grapefruit with it because it interacts with an enzyme. So that's why we have to tell everybody in our parents' generation don't eat grapefruit, probably because it was a trend. That, there you go. We we solved it. <laughs> solved it. All right. Well, that whole conversation was awesome. I think we went some places that I didn't intend to go, but were really good. I think we <laughs> stayed relatively on point, and uh, I think we were able to let our personalities shine. So that was all awesome. Now, Danielle, for the folks at home listening, if they want to find out more about you or reach out to you or just straight up troll you on social media, <laughs> where can they find you? Um, well, I do run a site that, um, it's, it's all like medical and health and fitness information and it's at Danielle underscore Marie underscore PAC. So Danielle underscore Marie, which is my middle name underscore PAC for physician assistant. 
And uh, if you're interested in a lot of dog related uh, stuff and hiking, my personal Instagram is at Kepix, which is my last name. So K-E-P-I-C-S-D-M-K. There we go. And those are both on Instagram, right? Yeah, it's the best way to find me. <laughs> Sweet. Love it. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for being on. It was awesome catching up with you. And uh, hopefully yeah. we'll get you on here again and we can dive down one of those rabbit holes that we tried to steer clear of today. Yes, let's do it, Derek. I'm totally in. <laughs> awesome. All right, Danielle, take care. All right, guys, that wraps up another episode of Ballistic Performance Radio. As always, thank you so much for listening in. We appreciate it. We could not do this without you guys. And if you're an avid listener and you like what we're talking about, you enjoy the podcast, please, please, please go on to iTunes, leave us a review. You can even leave a comment there if you would like. Reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it may be, but we would love to hear from you guys, get some ideas about future episodes, and just know that we are reaching you and that we are speaking to you guys and helping you move closer towards your goals.